Good morning. My name is Jolene, and I'll be reading scripture this morning from the ESV translation, and we'll be in Genesis chapter 3. It's a long reading this morning, so hang on, here we go. <laughs> the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, <coughs> pardon me, touch it lest you die. For the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, <clears throat> she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, 
knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove the man, he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Thank you, dear. I want to be sure and do that, especially in this passage, right? Oh, let's pray. Father, uh, this is an awesome task today to dig deep into what lies behind the brokenness in our world, our lives, relationships, God. Guide and lead, we pray that your word would, uh, we would stand behind it, we would not speak where we shouldn't speak, that your spirit would guide and lead and empower. We give you the morning and pray that you'd use it well for your glory and for our good. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin with a story of my first experience of uh, probably the fall in my life. I was probably five. I don't remember my exact age, but somehow or another, I'd gotten this incredible little toy truck. It was yellow with blue wheels, and it was a plumbing truck. And I mean, now, now this is like 65 years ago, so I didn't even know they made such stuff. But I mean, anyway, it had little pipes that you could fit together. It had little wrenches and it had little sides in the side of the truck, like a real plumbing truck, and you could put the, the pipe and the tools away. And it was really, really cool. It was my favorite toy. And I, I just loved it, and I'd take it out and play on the sidewalk with it. And one day my brother came up to me and he wanted to play with it, and I wouldn't let him. And that was the end of the truck. He totally totally smashed it. He destroyed it. So neither he nor I could ever play with it again. That's the first memorable experience I have of dealing with this fallen world and the pain and suffering. It wasn't a big deal, but still for a five-year-old, it's a pretty big deal. I don't know. I want to encourage you to think back in your lives that there have been times when early on you, you face this really difficult, hard thing that just broke your heart. Uh, someone was mean to you. Someone uh, really hurt you. Uh, that was the beginning in your life and as well as in mine of realizing that something's wrong in our world, that we live in a fallen world, that, that there's sin, death, all kinds of destruction. And we come today to a passage that unfolds the reasons why that exists and uh, how God purposes to use all that in us. And, and so join me as we begin to think through the subject uh, that we have before us, the fall in Genesis 3. I, I want to set the background. Remember last week, Chris had shared with us from Genesis 1 and 2, the perfect kingdom God had created, the perfect place on earth. It was a place where the people were his people, the people were uh, in his place, in his garden. They were under his rule, and they were experiencing his blessing. Today, what we're going to see is all of that is devastated and destroyed. All of it is taken away because of the sin of man. And so what was the promised perfect kingdom now becomes the perished kingdom. A lot of questions have to be answered in this uh, journey we're going to take today about why, uh, why was the fall? What was it like? Why'd God permit it? What sin? What man do to, to bring all this to pass? So join me in the text. I'm not going to reread Genesis 1-6, but I am going to refer to it pretty heavily. Understand this is, Genesis 3 is one of the 
most important chapters in all of the Scripture. If you want understanding about this world that we live in and what goes on in it and the craziness that we see out there, and it seems, I don't know, to an old guy like me, it's getting crazier and crazier and and more and more evil and wicked. Uh, But it is all, it all started right here in the pages of Genesis 3. Uh, we, we see the fallen world. We see the temptation and the, the uh, way the enemy is trying to destroy the work of God. We see what sin is. We see uh, how man tries to cover up and, and uh, overcome his sin. All of that is evident. It says in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than all the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. Who is the serpent? Who's in view here? I want to take you to the passage in Revelation 12, 9, because there we get his identity and we learn something of his character and his person. It says, and the great dragon was thrown down. That's from heaven, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Here is a picture of the rebellion, the celestial rebellion of Satan and those who follow him. Uh, What we see here uh, first and foremost that that I want you to grasp is, uh, I know there may be some here today who deny that there is a Satan, that there is an evil one. You cannot believe this book. You cannot believe this is the revealed word of God without believing that there is a real Satan. Uh, Seven of the Old Testament books, including Genesis, First Chronicles, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah all speak to the reality of Satan. If we go into the New Testament, every New Testament author speaks of Satan. In 29 discussions of Satan in the New Testament, 25 of them are words of Jesus Christ. You cannot deny the reality of an archenemy and foe of the work and kingdom of God, and his name is Satan or the devil. He seeks to destroy all that God has done. He's not eternal, but he is very powerful. Best we know, he rebelled against God based on what we read in Revelation 12, 9, and that he uh, was cast down out of God's presence at some point in time. If you want to know more about him, more about him, you can read in Isaiah 14 or Ezekiel 28. 28, there's a a description, it's prophetic, but it's also descriptive of something that most likely uh, in its background is the fall of Satan and his rebellious, uh, deceitful uh, turn against God. So we see him active in the garden, seeking to bring destruction there, to steal, to kill, and destroy. We read in verse 2 that he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden. He's already misusing and, and misquoting the word of God. Uh, and luckily, thankfully, Eve knew the word and God's command well enough that she rebuked him for that. She told him that uh, it really was only one tree that they had been denied access to. But notice how he approaches it. Did God really say? He calls into question God's character and God's authority to rule. He calls into question the very word of God. And, and nothing's changed today. He does those same exact things in our lives. He tries to deceive us. Uh, he, he riles against the character and the goodness of God. So bear those in mind when you're tempted. We don't have time to do a study on temptation to, to, today, so just bear with me. 
uh, <clears throat> she rebukes him and she says to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat from the fruit of the tree that's in the midst or the center of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. He doesn't give up. He pursues. He persists. And this is the path, the attack, the plan of Satan to, to seek to destroy. So he comes back at her and he said to the woman, you surely will not die. Uh, you know, God really wouldn't kill you for that. God just wants to uh, keep something that could be good for you from you. And with this, the, the, the woman buys his lie. She sees that the fruit is good, it's beautiful, it's pleasing. Uh, she hears that it's good for food and that it will give her understanding that she did not have. So she eats, and along with her, Adam, her husband, eats. Why is this such a terrible account? Why did this lead to all the destruction that we see in the world? I mean, it's fruit after all. We're told the day to what? Eat fruit, it's good for you, right? Well, back then, it's a different deal. There was all the fruit in the world that they would ever want to eat from all the trees except one. I want to take you back to the garden just for a moment and kind of refresh, remind you a little bit of what Chris said last week. Understand, Adam and Eve were in the garden. Adam was there alone for a while. God paraded before him every, every living thing in the garden, every animal, looking for someone who would be a suitable helper. None could be found. So Adam is there. God puts him into a sleep, takes his rib, makes woman, and presents woman to him. Every, I want you to not miss this, every, was every need that man had spiritually through God and humanly through Eve, was every need met for him in a perfect, beautiful way in the garden? Absolutely. All that he could ever need from a wife, God provided for him. His needs were met, his social needs, his physical needs, his emotional needs, because he had this beautiful, wonderful woman that God created. So I want you to see that as the background of what now happens. Out of his fully need-met life comes the enemy to sow the doubt that everything he really needs or she needs, God has not made available to them. The issue here in the garden isn't that Adam and Eve just did something they shouldn't do. It's that they chose to rebel, to disobey the God who created them. Uh, in Romans 5.19, we read this, For as by the one man's disobedience, speaking of Adam, the many were made sinners. The idea is that Adam and Eve chose willfully to disobey God, knowing him. How did they know God? They'd walked with him. They had talked with him. They had seen him. They had had fellowship with him. They had been with him daily in the garden. Oh, can you imagine that? One day we'll be privileged to that but uh, through Christ. But the reality is they had that kind of experience. And now the enemy comes and he says to them, there's something God hasn't given you. God really doesn't love you. He really doesn't care for you. Uh, there's something that he's withheld from you. And, and this is the battle we face with sin. We don't believe God. We don't believe God to the degree that we absolutely trust him for everything in our life, like Adam and Eve had the capacity to do. I do not trust God for everything in my life, and I should. He's trustworthy. He's the glorious God who's created everything. 
He's holy and he's righteous and he's just and he's good and he's glorious. Why, why would I not trust him? But I don't. That's the reason for a fall. We don't believe him. We don't trust him. So we don't obey him. That is at the heart of what happened here. You see, somehow or another, the enemy convinced Adam and Eve to believe this lie that they knew better than God. They knew what would be better for their life, what would fulfill them more than God did. And so they chose the enemy's way. Remember, too, how many prohibitions or commands did they have in the garden? How many were there? One. (laughs) Not a hundred, not 20, one. That's all there was, one. And they didn't need it. I mean, they had all the other fruit. So what we see here is their desire to decide for themselves rather than to trust and believe and obey God. That's the sin. That's at the heart of the fall. When we don't believe, trust, and obey God. They didn't do that. Something in this faith thing is, 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 is that we, we somehow or another believe God about some things, but we don't always believe that God in His goodness will give us everything we need for this life. There are things that we don't have or we, don't, uh, we would like to have that we don't have, and, and we wonder why God doesn't give those to us. We're doubting Him, and I just want to read this. This is what faith is. It trusts in God's goodness and love for us, trusting that He gives us what we need for our maturity and good, and that He withholds Understand, he withholds what we do not need for our growth and maturity. This is where faith becomes hard. To believe God still loves us, he still cares for us, he's still good to us when he doesn't give us what we think we need. That's where faith breaks down and obedience with it. To obey, to trust, believe means that we believe him in spite of that. We trust him no matter what because he is God. He made us. He knows what we need. He rules. He's sovereign. All of those things are true. So this is what was unfolded here. We're we're called as believers to walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that. Walk by faith, not by sight. To believe and trust in faith. That's what pleases God. To choose this day whom you will serve. That is, that is what blesses the heart of God. That fulfills why we're here to love Him and to obey Him. You, you know, the, the reality is I've thought through this. <clears throat> we talk about loving God, but to love God means this as well, that we trust Him and we obey Him no matter what. To love God means we trust Him and obey Him. Do you know who taught that? Jesus did in John 15, or excuse me, 14, 15. If you love me, you will what? Obey what I command. You see, love is two-sided. It's if we really love God, we will know God and we will follow him. We will believe him. We will trust him. We will obey him. And that's what failed here. And the result of it is Adam and Eve came away saying, we're going to rule our lives. God, we don't need your rule. And what became as a result of that was a very sinful, 
fallen world. Here's a description of self-centeredness, the selfishness that comes as a result of this fallenness. This is what self-centeredness is. It insists on its own way. It soaks if it can't get it. It resents being overlooked. It demands its perceived rights. It is lightning quick to spring to its defense when criticized. It is easily offended. It indulges in self-pity. It refuses to forgive. And these just scratch the surface of what self-centeredness is. C.S. Lewis said it this way. Fallen man is simply, it is not simply an imperfect, imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms and accept that he's under the authority and the care and the provision of God. If you throw the little chart up with the kingdoms on it, you know, God has a kingdom and he invites and welcomes us into his kingdom and there, uh, here it comes. God wants us to join him in his kingdom. Uh, they lived in his kingdom. So be in his kingdom. What we want to do is we want Jesus to come into our kingdom and fix our kingdom. So our kingdom operates the way we want it to. That's the fall. That's fallen thinking. It's not believing the right things about who God is and God's sovereign rule over us. And that's the heart of what went wrong. Let's move on to the consequences of these and see if you identify any of these. Reading from verse 7 of chapter 3, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of their God, their Lord God, walking in the gardens in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself, he said. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. If you're a note taker, a list maker, I'm going to give you a list of seven or eight things that were the consequence of this fall and rebellion. The very first one, instead of becoming knowledgeable as the Satan had deceived them and told them they would become, they awakened to the reality after this act to their sinfulness, to the shame and guilt of what they had done wrong. So the first thing they experienced as a fallen couple was shame and guilt the consequence of that was to try to cover it over or to hide from it. And they did both. They tried to cover their nakedness. And they also, when they heard God fled from him, they hid among the trees. So do we do those same kinds of things? I know when I was a little kid, I guarantee you, if I knew I'd done something wrong, I was finding a place to hide really quick. Uh, and that's kind of what we do. Uh, the reality here is, is that's just how we act in these situations. God came into the garden and he sought them out. He called out for Adam. Where are you? God came as a shepherd seeking. He knew. He knew that Eden. He knew where they were. And he comes seeking them as a shepherd. Adam, where are you? Come, confess your sin. Come, be reconciled to me. But what did Adam do? He hid. He fled. Uh, next, he Failed to confess his sin. He didn't come and confess to God. Just, I want you to see again in your mind what's going on here. Whenever they'd heard the voice of God before this day, 
what would they have done? They would have run to be with God. They, They would have been waiting anxiously, excitedly to have time with God. And now they're hiding from God. He uh, refuses to confess his sin. He goes on to not be repentant. He didn't examine his own heart and life. He uh, was unaware of the seriousness of his sin. These are all manifestations of sin. He tried to justify it by blaming others. The first one was his wife, so he blame-shifted. That's another thing on the list. Uh, The woman made me do it. He Actually, he ended up accusing God. Uh, forgiving him this woman. These are Keller's comments on this, and remember they're Keller's when I get to this one part. Uh, This is a clear accusation that God is himself to blame for what Adam had done. God gave him the woman who was supposed to help him. Clearly, he gave Adam an inferior, flawed product. Those are Keller's words, not mine. (laughs) Satan Ever the accuser had sown his own nature into the human hearts. Mankind created to be God's friend became his accuser. The consequences of this are legion. Uh, We've talked about some of them in our personal lives. I I don't know if you can see these reflected in your own lives, but we'll get to a, a bit more when we look at the judgment of that. But the reality is the penalty for disobeying God, for rebelling, for choosing not to go God's way, Uh, the rebellion penalty was death. You know, if you could uh, do one of those time-lapse things, I had to get Chris to tell me twice what that word was because I'm getting old and can't remember that stuff. But if you could have put a time-lapse camera on a mirror uh, on Adam and Eve from that day forward, what, what would you have seen over the next 900 years of their life? You would see them becoming to look more and more like I do. They would have wrinkles. Their hair would turn gray. They would be unstable as they walk around sometimes. They would be forgetful. And you could literally watch them die. You could watch the physical life being taken from them by death. Prior to this time, you could have put that time lapse on the mirror and there would have been no change. I want you to see and understand that's what resulted from their disobedience to God death. And it was not just a a physical death that could be seen, and they died physically a number of years later, but it was also a spiritual death. It was a broken relationship between themselves and between God and even between their children. Uh, That's what happens when we sin, is we break our relationships with each other. That's what it means to be dead spiritually. So with that, let's move on. And uh, before we uh, go there, I want to read you some words from uh, Major W. Ian Thomas, the, the founder of, of uh, Torchbearers. He writes these words, Adam and Eve had believed the devil's lie, that man can somehow be man without God, that a creator is not indispensable to his creature. This is such profound truth. They rejected their creator the one who made them, the one who had the right and the duty to rule over them, they rejected it. And we see that happening everywhere today in our world. And it happens in our lives. They rejected the creator. That the creator is not indispensable to the creature. That we can serve our own destiny and be king of our own kingdom. Be our own God. 
Though Satan's lying, through Satan's lying subtlety, mankind embarked upon a mad experiment of disobedience and human self-sufficiency. That's what they did. They just chose to reject the Creator and His teaching, trusting and believing Him. Let's go on to the, the judgment that resulted, beginning in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and you shall rule, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face, and you shall eat bread." till you return to the ground far for out of the for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return and the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living what we see here is a series of changed relationships and consequences judgments that come against those uh, who are part of this account to Satan he was judged and cursed and condemned to never ever uh, have victory or rule against anything God was doing. He was absolutely defeated and cast down, and one day that will be permanent and forever. Today we have, as believers in Christ, uh, we have strength in the Lord to stand against Him, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. We don't have to give in to the devil's schemes any longer, but understand uh, that's a result of Christ, not us. But He was absolutely defeated. You know, if your team goes out and, and and defeats another team, you, you kind of like to say, we made them eat dust. And that's kind of, that's where that came from. It, it, it's a term that speaks of, of being overwhelmed and defeat and being humiliated. And that happened to the, to, to the devil, to Satan. And there is there the, the beginning of the gospel, the first enunciation of the prophetic gospel that her offspring will crush your head. The relationship between man and woman was changed forever. Not only was there pain in childbirth, birth, which you all know as women, uh, us guys don't, but nonetheless you do. We had other pain. But uh, the issue I want to deal with is this statement, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. You see, what was given up was God's dominion over them. And what was, it, what was it traded for? The woman now wants to have dominion or rule her husband, and suddenly the, the, the husband wants to rule his wife, sometimes harshly. And so what, what we have now in the marital relationship is a contest for power. Who can, who can make up the rules? Who can be in charge? Who can uh, get more out of the relationship than the other party? So it's all about controlling and manipulating and, and getting the desires met. It's now become a competitive relationship without Christ and without God. And so many, many marriages, many relationships are doomed uh, to this kind of uh, uh, 
tragedy of, of conflict, unending conflict. And, and it isn't just the marriage. Uh, do your kids fight? D- does one of your kids want to rule over the other kids? You ever see that happen in your house? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I got back at my brother many times over my life. He broke my truck, but I shot him between the eyes with my BB gun. So, you know, there's always a way to get back. So, you know, this, is, this goes on at every relationship in life with our kids, with our siblings, with our employers, with other fellow employees. It's just what has happened now is we want to rule instead of God. The relationship between human beings and God was broken. When human beings turned away from God, and this is exemplified when Adam listened to Eve rather than who? God. She chose, he chose to listen to his wife rather than to believe God and keep her from sinning. And so God in rebellion, uh, in, re- in reaction to that rebellion, brought judgment to them. And they died, as we've already seen. The relationship with creation was broken. Man now would make his living by uh, competing with the thorns and thistles. I don't know how many of you have any hand in agriculture, but if thorns and thistles are, yeah, they're bad. Uh, if you have a garden, you understand that as well. Uh, so... All of this are the consequences and the judgment that God brought against them as a result of this. So what is sin? What's it done? It's this thing that binds us. It's a bondage we have. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to it. Once we fall into sin as sinful beings, we are in bondage to it. We're enslaved to it until we're freed by Christ. Uh, Literally, uh, slaves to it. We are no longer able not to sin. A sin is awful. The scriptures give us a horrific picture of what sin is. 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 5. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. That's a, that's a, a description of total depravity. Every facet of our being as people apart from Christ has been tainted and influenced by sin. We're not as bad as we could be, but every facet of our being has been impacted by sin, and we're as bad off as we can be. Beyond that, there's the guilt and shame that come when we fall, when we stumble, when we fail. There's death and disease. Some of you have experienced things that are just so difficult through the diseases and deaths in your life. We get families in this community who've lost children recently and lost adults. And, and so it's in our world, death and disease. If we go on in the Bible, we see that this pattern continues. The very next chapter, what do we see? Cain murder Abel. Their children murder. One of them murders the other one. Go on to chapter 5. We see the impact of the fall and the death. You read verse 5 after this nice long life and they died. You read chapter 8 after this nice long life and then he died. You read chapter 11 and after this nice long life he died. Death has entered in. All the genealogies now end with what? And he died. And we will die. It is the consequence and the penalty for the fall and for sin. In addition to that, we could go on and read the scriptures in uh, Romans, or excuse me, in Genesis 6 about the fall. These words are some of the most tragic in all of scripture. Join me in 6, 5 through 7. The Lord saw the wickedness of man on earth was great. 
And that every inclination, this, this every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil. Oh, what a description. Continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And then seven says, so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created for the from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. And that's, that's as bad as it gets. God is so grieved, he wipes out everything on the earth except Noah and his sons and the animals. This is the perished kingdom. This is where the, the, the perfect kingdom, where, where men, people, had a... a relationship with God, a place with God, lived under his rule and lived under uh, his blessing now, no longer his people, no longer living in his place. We'll see in 23 and 24 in a minute, he kicks them out of the garden and no longer are they under his rule or his blessing. That's as bad as it gets. Chris said, I got to talk about the bad news. There you go. That's the bad news. Doesn't get worse than this. I mean, when you really think about this, and, and I'm, I'm thrilled that we're talking about this in light of Christmas. <laughs> because, and, and God in his graciousness gives us a few verses here to, to build hope. Uh, so let's turn there just for a moment before we wrap up. Genesis 20 through 24. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the grounds from which he was taken. He drove him, he drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, God did two things here. One, he gave us a, a, a brief picture of the gospel. There was a shedding of blood to cover over the nakedness, the shame, the guilt of Adam and Eve. It is kind of one of the first, along with the passage in 15, where it talks about uh, Eve's offspring crushing the head of Satan. The gospel in its infancy and just kind of a seed of the gospel. And also, in God's grace and mercy, he locked them out of the garden because they could have eaten from the tree of life and forever been sinners. They could have lived as sinners forever. He gave them, he gave them physical death so they could re be reborn into the kingdom of God as those who will know him forever in heaven. So that's his grace. So I want to end up with this view. God didn't give up on his creation. God didn't forsake his people. He came to restore us. He came to redeem his creation. He came to reconcile us to himself. But God had a problem to do that. God is a righteous, just, holy, creating God. And in order for his holiness to be upheld, there had to be a payment for that sin. Either I'm going to pay for my sin or somebody else is. And so God in his infinite wisdom crucified Christ as the payment for our sin, all our sin, all our sin forever from the moment of birth to the last day we draw breath on this planet for every one of us, for every human being who's ever been, all of their sin was dealt with in the death of Christ. He took their sin to Calvary and died in our place, all of our sin. That's why there's no other way to God except through the death of Christ. 
And in order to appropriate that, we must believe that of God. God's best for us is to put our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ. Let me share this verse with you in closing, Romans 3.26. God had to uphold his righteousness and his justice in view of creation and, and who he is, the holy, righteous, just God. But he also wanted to be merciful, forgiving, and gracious to those who had sinned. This is how he did it, Romans 3.26. Write this down if you write nothing else down. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ Jesus. Someone had to pay the penalty for our sin. That was Jesus Christ. That enabled God to be just. When we confess our sins, what's the scripture say? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He has a way to forgive us. He has a way to appease his holiness and his righteousness and his creative glory, and that's called the death of Christ. And then he has a way to justify us through our faith in the provision of his son. When we believe Jesus took my sin to the cross and died in my place, so I don't have to die, I can be justified. God is both just and justifier. And we're heading right to see the presentation of the one who would justify, not only make God just, but also justify.